Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfell-Shaw and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020 and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. And each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road. And occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the countryman in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? So Luke, where exactly are you right now? Okay, I'm, I'm sitting across the table from you. Yep, indeed. I'm looking into your eyes at this very second, which is, is somewhat disconcerting because it's not the same as doing it over a Zoom screen. It feels a lot more immediate. Yes, definitely. I mean, we've been used to doing this over Zoom for the last several months, a year almost, and now I'm actually here in the same place as you. Yeah, and that is Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. Kent, to be precise. And yeah, there's been a bit of adventure because like last time we released the podcast, I was in Tashkent. I was solo. We're now in Kazakhstan together. Yeah. I think there's a lot to kind of bring up to speed. Um, yes. So before we start talking about Kazakhstan, let's skip back a bit to Tashkent. Mm. I joined you in Tashkent. I flew out to Tashkent on Saturday morning. We spent a couple of days in Tashkent before we set off. So I was able to get a sort of brief sense of the city, but obviously you spent a bit longer there. What were your overall impressions of Tashkent? It's really interesting. My overall impressions of Tashkent, I think, are already coloured having come here to Chimkent in Kazakhstan. But I think some of the things I really loved about Tashkent is how green it was. Yes. Just trees everywhere, water sprinklers everywhere. Um, Overgrown trees everywhere. They weren't trimmed back or manicured or like controlled like you normally see in a city environment. It was very much green wilderness. Mm, absolutely. And... Of that said, there weren't that many places to go running that weren't on tarmac, which is just a general bugbear of mine. I mm-hmm. just love to have grass beneath my feet when I run. But yeah, I think what's really striking about Tashkent is just how much there is there in contrast to the rest of Uzbekistan. And I'm talking about different uh, restaurants and cafes. So, you know, mm. there's coffee shops on every single corner. You can get Italian food, Korean food, Japanese food. Chinese food, Lebanese food, Mm. Israeli food, all in this city. And just to put this in contrast, everywhere else in Uzbekistan, um, there was just the national cuisine, which is very nice, but Mm. it's not a variety. So that was very striking of just how much wealth Mm. is concentrated in Tashkent. And you see, it seems like you have Tashkent and then you have the rest of Uzbekistan. And they're two different worlds. Yes, Uzbekistan is a very big country and Tashkent does not represent the majority of the country. Yeah. But I also think it's interesting because people probably listening back home are in a little bit of a, you know, UK-centric bubble, in a sense, when it comes to travel, when it comes to COVID. Mm -hmm. And I just think it'd be really interesting to talk a little bit about the attitudes in Uzbekistan and also in Kazakhstan, because it's probably quite unexpected, I think. Yes. What did you notice first, Kate? Um, I think when I landed... Probably one of the first things I noticed in terms of people was actually relatively few people wearing face masks. Yeah. Um, Almost no one. Like, yes. Like, sort of less I mean, than 10%. A few people might have them around their chin, but that was probably about it. Yeah. Um, there was one supermarket that we went into where there was a guard on the door taking your temperature and making sure people wore face masks, but that was it. Yeah. That's on the metro system. Yeah, that's um, true. But everywhere else, it's kind of like COVID doesn't exist. Yeah. 
But you were caught out. I was caught out, though, despite that. I had planned to take a train from Tashkent to go and visit Samarkand for a day. And then I realised the night before that there was going to be a national sort of lockdown and travel between regions was going to be banned. So if I'd gone to Samarkand, I would not have been able to get back. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that. Yeah, but it's quite interesting. I mean, it's a, it's a curfew. It's an 8pm sort of curfew that restaurants are closed after 8pm mm. and you can't travel from one region to another. But what was really funny is I went out after 8pm that yeah. evening and at, I think, 7.55, I was working in a cafe and I was told, all right, this cafe's closing. I packed up and then I went for a run. We went around the local park. Now, one of the restaurants had just people inside. It was open. <laughs> it's not a very well-policed curfew, put it that way. Well, no, but I, it is policed. I just, I think there was a way that they were allowed to be open. But what was even funnier is that I saw there was some huge, like, award ceremony called Tassin. And there was this hot air balloon that was sort of rising. And there were 50 different cameras trained on this red mm. stage and these big red banners and it looked like some sort of film award ceremony and there were people just crammed in and there were people watching from the outside mm. this event was still happening on the first, first day, day of yeah. this kind of curfew situation so it doesn't really add up at all but it was very very interesting to see you know and pri- previously in Uzbekistan during the first wave they were very very strict okay. it has to be said there were police on every corner yeah. you couldn't leave your locality um, however that the, the economy in Uzbekistan cannot withstand no. a full lockdown again. So this is a somewhat halfway house. But it's just very intriguing to see what it looks like from the outside. Not every country responds in the way that England no. does, or indeed Europe. Definitely not. Um, and I think the idea of trying to sort of enforce the Uzbek people to all stay home and to not socialise is just not ever going to happen. I don't think culturally it's something that would be possible or realistic. So I guess having restaurants and coffee shops closing at 8pm is there sort of halfway attempt towards that. Yeah, I think from an economic sense, it would be very crippling. Mm, yeah, definitely. But we're not in Tashkent anymore. And we also don't have someone with us who w- was in Tashkent in the last recording of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke, can you tell us about Tarzan? I can tell you about Tarzan. So Tarzan is the beautiful, wonderful ball of fluff that I picked up uh, or found um, just outside of Hiva. And we travelled together from Hiva all the way to Tashkent, which is almost a thousand kilometers. That's a well-traveled dog. Yes, indeed. So Tarzan saw a lot of Uzbekistan from my handlebar bag, which Mm -hmm. was, uh, yeah, a really lovely sort of experience. Um, And he melted the hearts. She, I apologize. She melted the hearts of many, many people along the way. And when I stayed in Tashkent, I was staying with a a very good friend, Carolyn. And Mm -hmm. she very kindly allowed Tarzan to stay in the apartment um, with her, um, with us. Which is no small thing, because Mm. Tarzan was not, is not potty trained. There was poo, there was pee, it was everywhere. So she put up with um, Mm. a lot to allow us to to stay. Um, However, when we went out, we put Tarzan in the bathroom, because that just seemed to be the only Mm. sensible place. And Tarzan hated this she would yeah it just does make sense but she would whine she would bark she would moan it was very very heart-wrenching so we decided one afternoon that instead of leaving her in the bathroom we'd leave her outside in the courtyard and this is something I'd done in um, Samarkand in Bukhara Mm. and you know she just sort of quietly sits there plays around makes friends with people 
And so Carolyn and I went off and did our stuff, and uh, I came back a little bit later, and there was no Tarzan. What and happened to Tarzan? I I don't know, okay. and I probably will never know. But no. Tarzan, Tarzan, perhaps uh, she's a wild dog at heart, yeah. and she'd she'd moved on to greater and better things. I hope. Indeed. So the best travel dog in Uzbekistan, but she didn't make it across the border into Kazakhstan. Yeah. Um, and true. how was crossing the border? Well, I mean, I was there too, but I'm asking your opinion on <laughs> yeah. this. Well, it's interesting. I find this a very very interesting thing that how important like pieces of paper are as yeah. symbols so you know a passport with a visa in it and also like an invitation letter bureaucracy and i know these things aren't actually trivial at all and they haven't been trivial to get and a lot of people have put a lot of time into helping yes, us definitely. get them but i do find it very interesting that when you show someone a piece of paper that sort of means nothing but it also means everything yeah their attitude just changes completely mm. from being you know we would not have been allowed in and then we show that show them that our name is on the list Mm. and then we are allowed in and they were, became super friendly and interested in the ride and what we were doing mm. asking lots of questions yeah and so I'm very grateful that um, perhaps almost for once it was a very smooth border crossing yeah. I think we were through in perhaps half an hour or something it was good but the number of times that there's just been things that happen and mm. last minute hiccups um, yeah, it made me very grateful that we got through. I found it really interesting too, in border crossing. Obviously, there's a num- vast number of like soldiers, border guards, and on all of their uniforms, they had their blood type written down. And I spotted them. Nine out of the ten that we saw were either A, B, or AB, which is, if you know about blood types, and if you know no, about... I suddenly didn't before no. this. <laughs> so, if you know blood types in the UK, those are not common blood types. O positive um, is the most common blood type in the UK. Um, which is what I am, you know, bog standard, totally average. And only one person had O-type blood. And mm. all of the rest of these soldiers did not. So is that some sort of genetic difference? Well, I'm wondering, think, I or... feel like I want to look into this more. Is O-type blood predominantly found in Europe? Is um, you know, A and B blood more sort of Asian-based? I'm going to look it up. If mm. anyone knows about this, though, um, do send me some info. Yeah. Love to see it. Now, someone might have just wondered what that beeping sound was in the background. We said we're in Chimkent. Where exactly are we? We are in a hotel that could be taken straight out of Berlin or Madrid or you know, most other European cities. It is called the City Hotel and it is very brightly coloured, airy. There's lovely plants, um, beautiful sort of architecture, wooden lampshades. I mean, it's just a lovely place. Yeah, I mean, and there's big glass fronting. You know, the whole of the front looking out onto the street is just glass. Mm. And we've got sort of painted grey walls around us. There's a coffee machine just to my behind me on my left. Yeah. And behind Kate is a map on the wall, which is missing. missing. <laughs> <laughs> it's missing the UK. I'm going to take a photo of this map and I yeah. will we'll share it, it with you guys. But... The first thing I noticed about this map was the UK does not exist. So on the map that we got behind us, which is a very nice map, by the way, it's made out of wood. Mm, it's a it's kind beautiful. of carved map. But you cannot do Bristol to Beijing no, on this map. That's the first thing I realised. Um, so. so it's a bit sad. We'll be talking to them about that and we'll, yeah. we'll have Bristol put in, if, exactly. if not London and the, the rest of the UK. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah, but Kate, tell me, when you came out to Kazakhstan, you told mm. people you're coming to Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. Yeah. What was the reaction? What do people think? And like, were they thinking that this what, oh, this aesthetic so. that we've got around us is sort of what would be Kazakhstan? No, no. Um, I mean, it's definitely not what I would have expected either. I think, unfortunately, probably, um, 
a lot of people's impressions of Kazakhstan are probably linked to Borat. Mm. Um, and the popularity of that in the UK means that often that's the only time they've heard of this mm. country. And yet it seems like a rather unfair reputation to have. So what have your observations been so far? Um, the kindness of people we've met. I know Luke has spoken about this before, but I don't think I quite realised just how amazing people are. I mean, we were we were cycling along the motorway today. It's hot um, and sweaty, and a lorry was stopped in front of us. And a guy kind of waved and waved Luke down, and we stopped, pulled up behind him, and he just went into his lorry and got out a large melon and gave us this beautiful, fresh-smelling melon, which I'm very looking forward to cutting up and eating later. Like, that just would not happen in the UK, be given free fruit as you travel. Mm. No, absolutely, and it's just something that happens time and time again yeah. in in different ways i think um just people have been very mm. very very supportive and friendly and just we've arrived in chimkent and the local triathlon and cycling federation have met us mm-hmm. um and we're going to be i'm you're going to be swimming i'm going swimming this i'm evening, going running the training session with them yeah um, and we were met by a guy called Baglan who cycled out of chimkent about Sort of 30k, yeah, 30k or so to meet us on the side of the road and then mm. cycle back into the city with us, mm. um, which is just lovely, really, really generous. And tell us, Kate, um, I've talked a little bit in the past about what the cycling is like. Yeah. You're coming in with a very fresh perspective, mm-hmm. you're coming in with the context of the UK behind you. Yeah, what's cycling like so, been so far? I mean, obviously, I joined you in the UK, I joined you in the Netherlands. This is different. This is very different. I assumed that I would find this a bit easier than when I joined Luke in the past, because when I joined him in 2020, I was still on chemo and still not very well, but I hadn't really counted for the difference that the heat would make. It is so hot and I don't think I cope so well with heat. I mean, can you describe? So can you describe how this heat feels to you? It feels like when you're cycling along, you have you know a breeze because you're moving into it, but it's not a cool breeze. It's not a refreshing breeze. It's like you're cycling into a giant hairdryer at all times. It's on top, top volume, top heat, pumping it out right in your face. It is not humid like necessarily, but it is just you sweat just staying still. Um, shade. I look at shade as we're cycling past, and it's almost like looking at a like mirage in the desert. I mean. Kate is, is a big fan of the shade, difficult. which is understandable. Yeah, I'm, mm. fi- I'm finding that difficult. And I definitely found that today particularly yeah. significantly tougher. And it made everything else feel difficult. I felt like my brain was sluggish, my body was slow, um, feeling a bit woozy and mm. just like I'm not drinking enough. Yeah, it's been really interesting just seeing your um, reaction and adaptation to the heat mm. because it makes me realise that actually after like six weeks on the bike through this kind of heat uh i have got used to it and yeah. i'm sort of taking it for granted mm. and you know when other people come and join i'm just like oh you know it's hot it is deal hot. It <laughs> and is then hot. i'm like and actually you, wait this is a completely different level of yeah um of heat mm. and when i first cycled from Aktau like into the desert i remember just being kind of like wiped out at lunchtime and just lying down for two hours because mm. it was like you know, it's almost overwhelming it and it makes you sort of realise about, you know, the dangers of like heat stroke and stuff. Definitely. I mean, mm. I would say this today, we probably drank, you know, well over 10 litres between us. Mm. Um, 
And that was only for three hours of cycling as well. Just could not get enough water, really. Every Mm. every single time we'd get water, we'd Mm. knock it back pretty quickly. Mm. Um, Um, What are your impressions of sort of the Kazakhstan, the countryside, um, the cars, anything else? Um, In Uzbekistan, I did not realise this before, but pretty much every single car is white, or potentially, if they're pushing it out, might be grey or black. But they are all one type of car. They are all Chevys, American cars. Mm. Um, but here, almost as soon as we crossed the border, there was variety again. Yeah, it's absolutely right. It was very striking to me as well that um, there's a import tax in Uzbekistan of, I've heard it either is 90% or 110% on well, just, That noise behind, if you can hear it, is someone having coffee. So. Yeah, which means that we need to finish this episode very soon because I want to drink coffee too. Yeah. Um, no, but the import tax in Uzbekistan on foreign cars is somewhere between um, 90 or 110%, which is crazy. And now we're back in the normal world, at least in car standards, and you know we're seeing VWs and... Audis. Exactly. Larders, um, you know, Toyotas, Range Rovers, mm. um, all sorts of different cars. And actually, you know, it's something we take for granted in the UK that there's more than one car type. Yeah. But it was very odd being in a place where there was... It's almost quite communist in a way. It was, it's sort of like there's yes. just one car. Identical clones along the road. Which I quite liked in the same way. It's like there is no like car hierarchy, no. really. You know, yes, there's about four different models of Chevy, but... That's what part, you can choose. I quite like that. So we're spending... How long do you reckon we'll be in Kazakhstan for? Well, we've got probably another two weeks ahead of us okay. to get across to Almaty. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts looking ahead? Um, I've got to figure out how I can manage this heat. Mm. I've got to figure out what the best strategy is and whether that's persuading Luke to leave earlier in the mornings. Um, I don't know. Well, you know that's going to require a lot of coffee. I know that's going to require a lot of coffee. But I think I just need to make sure as well that I'm drinking enough. Yeah. Drinking enough and also eating enough. Yeah. Um, I think the heat very much puts me off the food. And then if you haven't got enough food, you haven't got enough energy. So you're in a bit of a downward spiral. So mm. sorting out, I think, nutrition and hydration is key. Yeah. I think, yeah... It's something I found with everyone who joins on the bike is trying to find that that sweet spot. And yeah. there are some things that I think I do that are probably quite effective and mm. make sure that we get the distance done and we make progress. Um, and on the other side, actually, uh, it's really important to accommodate people wherever they're starting and wherever yeah. they're at. And um, that's something I'm really aware of right now that, you know, again, with all these things, the point isn't really get to get to Almaty or the point isn't really to get to Almaty in 10 days time. Yeah. The point is to enjoy the route along the way. And, and the if, experiences you have and the people you meet along the way. Yeah. And for me, it would be a much bigger failure for us to reach Almaty, but for you to come back away from this and thinking that was an absolute horrible experience, yeah. for us actually to take three weeks or never even reach Almaty together, mm. but for you and I to actually enjoy that journey. So that's yeah. something I'm trying to keep in mind because there's always that tension and focuses. Yes, so let's see how it goes. And of course, we will keep you guys updated next week. Absolutely. We will be somewhere on the way to Almaty. So um, we're looking forward to it. All right, till next week. Bye. Bye.
And that was this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it, and thanks so much for listening. We put a lot of time into the podcast, so please do support us by subscribing, reviewing, and rating. And please send in your questions that you have about any aspect of life on the road to Bristol to Beijing on social media. Until next week, goodbye.